Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for her job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days bada bing bada boom welcome to this week's mini of rotten mango i'm your host stephanie sue and have you guys heard of the chinese urban legend it's actually about a guy named chris Oh yeah, that's definitely what they called him in China, Chris. I'm kidding. Okay, his name was actually known as Chen Ajian. Exactly. But we're just going to call him Chen. He was known as the most famous thief in all of China. Rumor had it, he could hop onto a moving train and manage to steal an entire train cabin. He wouldn't steal the whole train, just one cabin right off the tracks. And no, 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 he's not stealing everything inside the train cabin the whole cabin do you know this story yeah but this is not like real yeah this, i mean it's an urban like, legend yeah, right yeah. which good because my thing is how the hell do you manage to do that I mean, I, actually maybe it's real who knows exactly i mean i tried to look <laughs> it up and i could not find any resources on this one because i need to know was it just the last block i mean that's the one that makes the most sense to me he hops onto the moving train gets on top of the block that's right before the last, unhooks the last one, jumps on top, and now he's free-falling. You mean he steals the last block? Yeah, on the train, because, no. I mean, you just unhook it. No, 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 no. So what he will do, so in the middle of the train, right? Yes. He will get two wires, so he will hook it into the block, in front of the block that he's trying to steal, and then he will throw the little wire right under the current block, all the way to the block behind, and hook it. Does that make sense? So you he kind of connect the one bit in front of... Does that make sense or yeah. no? Yeah, so he connects train cabin number two to train cabin number four. Yes. And he steals train cabin number three. But yeah. how do you get three separated from two and four? So at a when, when it's going through a split... Oh, my God. He will split it. Oh, no. As soon as it hits there. And then he will kind of wiggle it to... So one, the whole train's going to the left, except that block, number three. 
will go off I mean, on, on the other side. What is what's in train cabin number three? I don't know. Whatever he wants to steal. Maybe it's a person. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Maybe it's a person. <laughs> so he's going around. I mean, how do you even get to that level in your life where you're just jumping onto moving trains to steal a cabin? The legend is it started when he was actually seven years old. He once stole a sewing needle, a tiny little thing. It was proudly presented to his mother, who didn't scream. She didn't yell. She didn't even force him to return the needle or apologize to anyone. In fact, she praised him. She's like, oh, my dear sweet boy, you're so clever. You're so good with your hands. Who taught you something like that? And with this praise, Chen starts feeling more and more encouraged. He's thinking, my mom's proud of me when I do this. I should do this more often. And from there, it only escalated. And he stole bigger, more valuable, better things. Chen became the most notorious thief in all of China. And when he was finally arrested for theft, the authorities didn't go easy on him. He had caused way too much damage. They needed to set a precedent of sorts. So his sentence, the death sentence. Do you have any last wishes or words, Chen? Yes, sir, just one request. I would like to suck my mother's breast one last time before I'm executed. Chen's mother looked at him in disgust. I mean, she couldn't help but pity her full-grown son of, I mean, how is this the last thing that you want to do? Have I really raised a son like this? So she went up, lifted up her shirt, came to breastfeed this full-grown adult, or I guess just let him latch onto her nipple since there was no milk being produced. And in this bizarre, tender moment, Chen put his mouth up against her and he bit as hard as he could until her nipple fell off. And he angrily yelled at her, if you taught me the right way from day one, I wouldn't have to die today. This is all your fault. He was quickly put to death soon after. But doesn't it make you wonder whose fault is it really? I mean, this is, uh, we're not covering the urban legend. We're actually covering a real life verified case of a, a guy in China who just had, I don't want to say mommy issues because I don't really like that phrase that much anymore. But in the sense of, it's just complicated. Who is enabling who here? So before we get into it, as always, full show notes are available at RottenMangoPodcast.com, but this is another Chinese case that my fiancé told me about, and I read a ton of articles. I had them translated in English, so I mean, it's such a shocking case. I think I got most of what I could find, but if you have more information, if I got something lost in translation, please let me know. Now let's jump into the story. How do parents feel when their child commits unspeakable crimes? There's actually a TED Talk by one of the Columbine shooter's moms. And I'm not going to get into Columbine. It's, it's too dark. But, um, you know, in the TED Talk, she said this. You know, when it first happened, I used to wish I had never gotten married, never had children. I wish I didn't go to Ohio State and cross paths with Tom. And then this child wouldn't have existed. And this terrible thing wouldn't have happened. But I've come to feel that... I love the children I had so much that I don't want to imagine a life without them. I recognize the pain that they caused to others, for which there can be no forgiveness. But for the pain that they caused me, there is forgiveness. So while I recognize that it would have been better for the world if Dylan hadn't been born, I've decided it would not have been better for me. That is crazy. Very raw. Like a very real, transparent... 
you know, I don't know how to feel about it because I don't know how victims' families would respond to such a statement. But no. it is very transparent. I can give her that. It's not sugarcoated as, oh gosh, I don't know why this happened. I had nothing to do with this. Good riddance. But it's truly what you feel is this mother just going through all of these emotions, just a trauma that I don't think anyone should or can really relate to. I mean, how do you even prepare yourself for something like this?、Mm -hmm. So we're going down that rabbit hole today of parents and kids, and what happens after a parent finds out about their kids' heinous crimes? How do they react? And what she does is、Yo. unheard of. <laughs> It's ridiculous. So we're talking about a guy by the name of Mr. Big Lee. Just by hearing his name, you might not think that he's a mama's boy. But in order to fully understand it, we got to talk about a random kid named Harry. This random kid was hired as the HR manager for this huge bar that was set to open called M2 Bar, and he's been working on this project for months. Finally, the grand opening is today. He's excited. He's nervous. They had fireworks planned. The red carpet was rolled out, ready to go. They had invited influencers, all these like town little celebrities. Oh, and not to mention someone who a lot of people referred to as either Big Boss or Mr. Big Lee. Was coming. Mr. Big Lee was famous in the nightclub scene, but more as like an investor. And in the typical mysterious rich businessman fashion, nobody really ever saw him much. He would just drop in and drop cash and then leave. Like the guy was mysterious. He showed up very rarely to check up on his investments, and that was that. So Harry knew that he had to impress this guy. He had to get on this guy's good side. Mr. Bigley rolls up, limousine and everything. Someone opens the door for him, and he steps out. Harry is nervous, palms sweaty. Mr. Bigley walks straight up to him. He had this smile on his face. He shook his hand, and Harry thought, "Wow, I, I'm pleasantly surprised. I mean, typically, people in charge of this kind of money in this current climate, in this type of environment, they don't need to be nice to anyone. They don't even have to acknowledge your presence or your existence. But this guy." Mr. Lee, he's he's so nice, and Harry thought, "Wow, I mean, I imagined Mr. Lee to either be this buff guy, or just like a old rich dude type of look, or maybe he looks like that unapproachable, cold, shrewd businessman that sends a chill down your spine." But no, Mr. Lee looked really normal. That's what Harry got out of it. Harry felt enough courage to even ask. Sorry, Mr. Lee. Can can I get a picture with you? And they take a little selfie. And Harry looks at it afterwards, and he's kind of laughing to himself. I mean, if I saw this guy around, not knowing who he is, I wouldn't think that he's a Ferrari driving investor. I wouldn't even think he's a businessman. It's so strange. But then it came to Harry's mind. A recent rumor that he had overheard is more of a whisper than anything. It sounded something like this. Oh, you know, Mr. Bigley. He's. Ah,、oh, did you hear? Is he who he is? He who we think he is? Wait, what do you mean? There's a rumor that when he was younger, about ten years ago, well, more like fifteen actually, he was sentenced to death. What? What do you mean sentenced to death? How is that possible? Like, <laughs> that's so dumb. Did he just walk out of the lethal injection? Just stand up, walk out like it's some sort of vaccine? I mean, did he? Did what are you saying? Did he get electrocuted and then he just stood up and acted like he was just struck by lightning and he giggled? I mean. None of that makes sense. What do you mean he was sentenced to death? Did they did they shoot rubber bullets at him? <laughs> What are you talking about? I don't know. It's just something I heard. 
And Harry thought about it and he laughed. I mean, he's looking at this picture. He's like, there's no freaking way. If he looks this normal now, imagine 15 years ago, he's going to look younger and more average. This is crazy. But that's not what everyone was saying. Everyone said Mr. Bigley is actually Sun Xiaogua. Sun Xiaogua. We're going to call him Glenn, the rapist and gangster that terrorized the entire city a decade ago. The one that left a trail of bodies behind him. They said that's him. And Harry's thinking, well, if that's him, how do you go from being sentenced to death to owning bars, driving a Ferrari, an Audi A8, and being this well-respected businessman? What is this? Is this a Mr. Big lie? I mean, I don't understand. Maybe some people are like cats. They have many lives. The day is July 2018, or I guess I should say it's night. A fight breaks out in a karaoke bar in town. And a few flight attendants came into the karaoke and coming and um, the city and to blow off some steam. I mean, they're pent up from the work. They want to let loose. And while they're drunk, one of the flight attendants, let's call her Lisa, gets into this huge fight with one of her colleagues. Now, honestly, nobody really remembers what they were fighting about, but it just started escalating. Lisa's pissed. She ends up slapping the guy across the face. And at this point, she's standing up, pointing her index finger straight into his face, screaming, I dare you to leave. Get up and leave right now. See what's going to happen to you. I freaking dare you. Now, her coworker, Will, is like, what is happening right now? This is bizarre. He's trying to make up his mind, get his head together after being slapped around in the face. Ironic that I named the guy Will, but anyway, um, Will is still (laughs) reeling from the shock and he slowly makes his way out to leave. But almost like a scene from a movie, a series of black cars pull up and they park right next to each other and a bunch of what can only be described by sources as tattooed men. (laughs) (laughs) This is my fiance. (laughs) They pop out. (laughs) Very descriptive. Tattooed men. And the group was led by... But back then in China, you don't see tattooed men unless they're gangsters. Because it was illegal, right? No, it wasn't illegal. It was just only gangsters have tattoos. Fascinating. Because I know that tattoos were illegal in South Korea for a really long time. Yeah. It's actually shockingly how recent they made it legal. Exactly. Yeah. Wow. So, tattoo man. You don't, <laughs> you don't want to mess with tattoo man. You see tattoo man, usually you, you seriously you dodge. Wow. So I'm dating a badass. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> so the group is led by Mr. Big Lee. And he was here to seek revenge for his Lisa, his mistress. So he drags Will out by the leg and they just start beating him in the middle of the street, kicking him in the stomach to the point where his bladder was ruptured inside of his body. He was beaten, tortured on the street, and he wasn't done with Will just yet. He said, bring his buddies out. So Mr. Bigley's men go and grab anyone that was on Will's side on the fight, and they too are beaten in plain sight on the street. I mean, these these tattooed men, they made no attempts to hide the assaults. In fact, after Mr. Bigley was done, he put his hand on his lower back because he's, he's getting old now. And he calmly walked away, chit-chatting with his men as if he didn't just put the lives of four people in grave danger. I mean, of course the police were called, but they refused to open an investigation into what happened until nine days later. And it wouldn't be another two months till they arrested Mr. Lee. They bring him into the police station. And when he walked through those police doors, everybody's jaws dropped. You see, this is a smaller town. The police typically stayed with the force for a long period of time, typically until they retired. So some of these older officers, they stood up from their chairs behind their desks. Is that, is that who we think it is? And it's just like a chill settled in the room. It was Glenn. 
but that didn't make sense. We we worked on the case where he he was literally declared to be executed. He was sentenced to death. I mean, if he's still, how does this make sense? I know, I know. You're like, Stephanie, get to the point. Who the hell is Glenn and why is everyone trying to execute him? He was a terrifying person. There was a phrase around him that said, Deng Xiaoping rules the day and Glenn Lee rules the night. So Deng Xiaoping, for context, was the president during the time. <laughs> yes. And uh, that's just to say how powerful this guy was. He used that power to gang rape minors to torture them. He would, okay, open up your hand right now. Maybe not if you're driving. You know those little parts between your fingers that are kind of like web-like, like little, mm-hmm. like little frogs? He would uh, allegedly cut those parts with scissors, cut the muscles, the tendons open. He would stick toothpicks underneath your fingernails and jam them in all the way until your nails popped uh. off. All because what? Maybe you were a little too loud in the elevator. Maybe you didn't want to sleep with him. Maybe you just looked at him the wrong way. He would break fingers apart using chopsticks. I mean, it sounds fake, but he would do this. So let me take you back to the beginning, like all the way back, back to Glenn's parents. Both of them were police officers. <laughs> you were not expecting that. I was not expecting that. They worked in different police departments and they really bonded over the fact that they both knew the pain and the struggle of being an officer. Glenn's mom, Sunny. She was kind of like the brains of the family. She was a force to be reckoned with. This isn't a pretty patriarchal town. Like I'm talking small town vibes in the 70s. I mean, they're definitely not the wokest crowd. And the idea of her being this powerful figure in the police force would have been almost laughable. But she just had this way about her. First of all, she was beautiful. She was almost always in uniform. And she had perfected the no makeup makeup look long before we did. Everybody described her to be this elegant, smooth, and incredibly capable person. She was the queen of interpersonal relationships. There was something about her. She could make a connection with anyone. She was just so smooth. She knew how to form a relationship if she wanted to. And so she was really good at her job. She got along with her colleagues. She had a great sense of humor. So the two of them, they get married and they start living a simple life. They actually rode a bike to and from work. So it's like not, it's not what you're thinking, like that high speed investigative work. It's, it's like a cute hometown job. Eventually they go on to have two kids, a son, let's call him John, and then Glenn. Glenn as a kid had a normal life. I mean, what's interesting is that Glenn took his mom's last name which really wasn't common back then. I think it's still not the most common now, especially if your parents are still married, right? But it didn't bother anyone in the family. I mean, they had other concerns. They had other worries. Sure, they were making enough money to put food on the table, but they weren't spending any money on life's luxuries. Like they had, they had no privilege, no fun. It was just work and that was it. And then there were the problems at home. Glenn's dad was falling into alcoholism. It just seemed like he was choosing this over his family. That's how they felt. He was never around. He would be out drinking. The only time that the kids remember their dad being home and spending time with their own father was when they were being beat till they were black and blue. Like that's the only quality time that they had. Glenn's dad would come home, beat his wife in front of his kids. And Sunny was in this really sad, tricky situation. So she's working nonstop to support everyone. Every time she comes home late after work, she just smells the reeking stench of alcohol permeating through the entire house. Like the minute that she walks in through that door, it's filling up her nostrils. And the idea of divorce just gets stronger and stronger. With every slap, with every hit, I mean, it just, it only gets stronger. But then in the back of the, in the back of her mind, 
This is back in the day when divorce was frowned upon, especially if you had kids. Not only would people look at it as if you failed your husband, because like for some reason it's her fault, but it's also you failed your kids. So she just had this mindset for a while that she would be ruining her kids' lives by divorcing her and their abuser. Finally, one night, the physical assault got so bad, Sunny started screaming and she wouldn't stop. She just kept screaming, I'm divorcing you, I'm divorcing you, I'm divorcing you. And Glenn remembers this time in his life. He wrote in his diary, Mommy and Daddy are always fighting. Everyone is violent and the whole world is just full of violence. Now, after the divorce, both the boys went to live with their father. I know it's like kind of counterproductive to the whole thing, but Sunny was working all the time. She really couldn't care for the kids. And Glenn's dad seemed like he was snapping back to reality with the divorce. At at first, he seemed like he was dedicated to changing his life, you know, turning things around. He got a new job at a cafeteria, which, by the way, people were jealous of this job. Back in the day, this was considered a metal bowl job. You know what a metal bowl is? (laughs) It's called (laughs) 铁饭碗. Okay, well. metal bowl. (laughs) metal bowl that's like every (laughs) grandparent's life goal is you need to find a metal bowl that means you will always be fed yes yes your bowl will never break you will always make a living yes that i mean i think koreans have that like not the same saying but in the sense of like people want you to work for the government because it's one of those jobs you will never lose a job yes you will always make a paycheck you're stable exactly yeah At least you can guarantee food on the table. And everyone around Glenn's dad was jealous of him, of his cafeteria job. And at the time, China was rebuilding neighborhoods. So essentially what would happen, and I'm really oversimplifying this because there's so much nuance to it, but they would kick you out of your house (laughs) and typically move you a town over into a new complex that was just built. Then that house that they just kicked you out of and all your neighbors, they would ram it down and build a new complex, move some people in, break down their homes. It's essentially a mass gentrification by the government. It's said online that a lot of people liked it. A lot of young families liked it because you do get upgraded into a better, you know, area, better community, a better apartment building, more modern amenities for the price of nothing. Right. Mm -hmm. But you know, there are older generations and it's heartbreaking. There's videos, but your family home would just be torn down and people would be sitting in front like these older grandpas because mm-hmm. this is the only town that they've ever known. Yeah. And they're just ruining everything. They're just bulldozing everything to make the same builder apartments, the same ones that look like the next town over mm-hmm. and all that culture, that community is going to be destroyed, right? It's a very sad thing. But Glenn and his family get offered a new house. And they're freaking stoked, I tell you, okay? I mean, it was going to be a 500-square-foot modern apartment. And at the time, most people were living in older homes. I'm talking brick homes, which I feel like brick is coming back. (laughs) Everyone's like, oh, it's a brick house. Exposed brick walls. Yes, exactly. But back then, it was not cute. It was not a New York City aesthetic. It wasn't. So they were going to move out of their old brick house into a modern apartment the epitome of luxury glenn started showing off when he went to school he never studied by the way he spent all of his time bullying these younger kids into skipping class with him i mean which is weird this is kind of how sad it is he's not bullying kids period he's bullying kids to essentially hang out with him you know it Mm -hmm. you get where i'm going with this And he'd take them to go play games and he would invite everyone to his house just to show off the modern apartment building he lived in. Look at my amenities. Look at this exercise park. You got an exercise park? I didn't think so. Look at this little pond with goldfish. Look at the goldfish. You got goldfish? 
I didn't think so. Yeah, that was him. Look at these well-kept trees. That was him. Just nonstop. And even though Glenn's family didn't pay for it, and they were just really lucky to be chosen to relocate, it, it got a little into Glenn's head. He felt superior than all of his classmates. He felt like he was Jeff Bezos' kid. <laughs> even though on paper, they really weren't making much money at all. He was probably making less money than the friends that he was showing off to, but nobody knew that. It was just all getting, getting wild. The only person that could bring Glenn down from the highs of his ego was his dad, who was still regularly beating him for practically every little thing. Glenn was being beat for not getting good grades. A beating would come. If the dad came home drunk, an even heavier beating would come for no reason at all, except for the fact that dad is drunk. Glenn was constantly bruised up and he'd be in the corner cowering in tears and his dad would look down on him with these, with these stone cold eyes and he would practically spit at his own kid. He would say, people like you will eventually be executed by shooting. Jeez. Which I don't even, I don't even know how to feel about that statement because I didn't know people were saying that to their kids. It's such an oddly specific, horrendous thing to say. Do you think that if a parent says these types of things long enough with so much emotion that the kid eventually fulfills the destiny? Yeah, it definitely brings a lot of hatred and trauma. Yeah. That's for sure. It's bizarre. So this really left a mark on Glenn. I mean, from the outside, it looked like he was just trying to listen to his dad to not piss him off. But in reality, Glenn was learning, hey, uh, violence is the solution to everything. He's like, <laughs> he said, violence is the solution. It is. He's okay. thinking, okay, my dad wants me to be scared of him and he beats me. And guess what? I'm scared of my dad. I mean, yeah, I hate him, but I'm scared of him. So he's getting what he wants at the end of the day. And so that means if there's something that I want, I need to go out there and I need to get it with violence. So 10 years after the divorce, Sunny, after a decade of hard work, she was promoted to be a police commissioner. So very fancy job, right? Very high up. And in the same year, she married a man by the name of Lee Wu. We're going to call him Leonard. <laughs> Sorry. Leonard is 10 years younger than Sunny, and he was also in the police force. So the two of them, I mean, it seemed like they had their whole futures ahead of them to achieve excellence. And they're both ambitious. They knew how to play the game evidenced by Sonny becoming police commissioner. Leonard, him too. Even though he was younger, he was really smart. Oh, he had a really high EQ, an emotional IQ. He was good at reading people. He knew what makes people tick, what they want in life, what makes them feel good. I love meal deliveries. In fact, I love everything about having my meals delivered straight to my doorstep, except the delivery fees. That's why I signed up for the Dash Pass, an exclusive membership from DoorDash that lets you make an unlimited amount of fee-free orders for eligible orders. Whether it's food from your favorite restaurants, groceries from across town, or anything in between, the Dash Pass can get you $0 deliveries and lower service fees on eligible orders. That means you can easily save money at your favorite restaurants and groceries stores the dash pass practically pays for itself in two orders on average the math is mathing plus dash pass gives you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items and all of this for only $9.99 a month open the door to zero dollar delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else sign up for dash pass today only on doordash and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member subject to change terms apply 
When I was in high school, I had this ritual every day after coming home from school. I would grab a salty snack, sit down, watch my favorite mystery drama on TV. And recently, I discovered the adult version of that, which at the end of the workday, I grab salt and vinegar chips, snuggle up on the couch, and I play June's Journey. June's Journey is a hidden objects mystery game that makes me feel like I'm living inside of a mystery TV show that is very immersive. You play as Detective June Parker, and you just found out that your sister and husband were murdered. This is a fictional story. So you fly from London to New York to investigate, but the clues are just not adding up. So you get to go through these series of scenes from the mansion living room to a lavish garden to a 1920s style New York cafe. In each room, you have to find hidden objects that help you solve the mystery of your sister's death. And in the meantime, a whole lot of unexpected just scandalous twists are going to happen. There's family secrets, danger, there's romance. I love traveling all over the world with June. Currently, I'm exploring Paris in the 1920s. Because the game is set in the 1920s, it just has the most aesthetic game design ever, and it's so cozy. Whenever I need a break from the suspense, I can pause the story and head over to my private island. Yeah, they give you a private island and you get to customize it however you want for you. I love cottagecore mixed with that old money vibe with a huge mansion and a luxurious garden and even like this train rail. June's journey is the best way to unwind at the end of a long day or just to take a break in the middle of the day when I feel overwhelmed. I can escape all of my problems and turn into Detective June. Discover your inner detective when you download June's journey for free today on iOS and Android. Now, with some context, I'm sure everywhere this is still a thing, but bribery was a really big thing back then. And in order to get higher in the ranks, you got to do some favors. Now, most people would just buy expensive items, give it to their boss, here you go. Or they would go to the store and look at what looks the fanciest, what looks like I spent the most money, here you go, give it to their boss, right? But not Leonard. He knew that people wanted to feel listened to. So he would listen and he wasn't listening for a boss to say, oh, you know, I really love the new Gucci drop. No, no, no. He was listening for the small things. One of his superiors would drop random bits of information about themselves. Something so innocent and so tiny, so minute. Something as small as, oh, I love a good beef noodle soup. You know, the other day I went down the street and I tried to find one and shoot, no one makes it like my mom does. Very casual conversation. Again, maybe. Maybe some lower ranks would hear that and later invite their boss over. Oh my God, you'll never believe it. I got us reservations to the fanciest restaurant in town and they have beef noodle soup. We can get wine, but this restaurant is known for their amazing pork dishes. Oh, did I mention it's a five-star restaurant with four money signs? Do you want to come, boss? Let's go, let's go. It's on me, but not Leonard. Leonard would research. He would ask around. He would find the most authentic beef noodle soup street stand in town. The one that everybody says tastes not just the best, but tastes like home, tastes like nostalgia, tastes like their mom's beef noodle soup. He would find that one, wait in line for hours, and bring the superior the best tasting noodle soup that they've ever had. And that's kind of what set Leonard apart. You know, this is why Sonny liked him too. It just showed that he was incredibly intelligent. And the two of them, they settle down, they get a nice place together and Sonny starts thinking about on her life and she's like, oh yeah, I have kids, that's crazy. I feel so bad. They must be miserable with their abusive dad. I should probably save them now. Now that my life's great, let me go save my kids. So she reaches out to Glenn, who is now 15 by the way, and asks him, hey, you wanna come live with me? 
Now, I mean, he excitedly agrees, but the kid is 15. He's already this tall, strong bully. Everybody at school is scared of him. He's hanging out with the wrong crowd. He even formed his little gang and um, they're getting into these little gang fights. They're not tattooed men just yet, but I'm sure they're like drawing gang signs in Sharpie on themselves. And that's what's going on. This is what 15-year-old Glenn's life is like. And he likes it this way. Sure, I mean, he's still impressionable, but at this point, it's he's kind of found this path and he wants to stick to it. He's not looking to be saved by anyone, especially not his mom. So he moves back in with his mom and his new stepdad. And you would imagine Sonny being the police commissioner, being a working woman that is high in the ranks of a predominantly male police force where there is so much sexism, stigma, and all of these things, you would think that she's going to be a strong woman. She's going to discipline Glenn, show him that his way of life is going to end up with him depressed, in jail, or possibly even dead. You would think she would do everything in her power to straighten her kid out. Well, she had some weird logic. She noticed that he was in gangs. And she's not dumb. I mean, this is pretty obvious. But she felt bad for him. She felt like it was um, it was her fault, that he was broken and hurt. And if this is the result of Glenn's dad, you know, abuse, neglect, giving him nothing, no love, no material possessions, and now he's in a gang, she would have to do the exact opposite to get the exact opposite outcome. So Glenn's dad hits him. He joins a gang. So now Sonny is going to do the opposite of hitting him. In fact, she's never going to say no to him. And he's going to magically not join the gang. (laughs) He's going to drop out of the gang. He's going to resign, put in his two weeks notice. In theory, she's giving him the opposite treatment of Glenn's dad to get the opposite result. (laughs) So Sonny goes on to satisfy every demand, every request that Glenn makes, every single thing he wanted. She did it for him. She thought this would make him realize, oh, shoot, I'm lovable, aren't I? My mom loves me and I should love everyone else. (laughs) What? And of course, it fails spectacularly. Sunny, (laughs) Sunny is not one to fail, though. So she's getting frustrated. She sits down with her new husband and the two of them, they start running down their list of solutions. We just we just got to do something, you know, why don't we send him to the army? That'll teach him. That'll straighten him out. You know, they don't play in the army. And Sonny's like, yeah, but he's 16. You can't enlist in the army until you're 18. And that's another two years. I mean, I don't know what kind of trouble he's going to find himself in in two years. I imagine it's only going to get worse than now. Wait, Leonard, don't you know someone that works in the government office? Why can't we just change his birthday in the system, but also on all of his records to say that he's 18 years old, then there's literally nothing to prove that he's not 18 and he can join the army right now. It's all about right now. We need to nip this problem in the butt right now, right? What what do you think? I mean, they barely do checks in the army right now anyway. Let's do it. So Leonard goes to work and he bought copious amounts of beef noodle soup. And soon Glenn is enlisted in the army at the young age of 16 years old. But everyone thought he was 18. Now, Glenn wasn't pissed about going to the army. In fact, he was happy. He realized just how powerful his parents were, and it gave him this sense of superiority. He thought to himself, nobody can join the army without being 18. Now, I know for a damn fact, no matter what these records say, I'm 16 years old. So the fact that my parents could do this? Oh, I am better than everyone here. Even in the army, his parents had connections, and with that, and with enough bribing, Glenn was allowed to goof around the whole time and cause trouble. At one point, he slapped a girl in the face so hard she was bruised really badly, and the army did nothing. He never attended the harsh training sessions, but he got all the best marks, which 
why did Sunny even send him to the army? Yeah, if exactly. She's just, exactly. Just going to let him breeze on by. It, she reminds me of an evil mom who can't really help herself. It's like uh, those moms that talk the talk. That's like, yeah, leave the house, whatever. Go to jail. Act like this. But then they'll bail you out in two seconds. Yeah. Within two years, he was awarded the ranking as private first class, which was considered to be in record speed. In fact, it was so speedy that um, people who trained with him, but also the high ranking officials, they could just look at his papers and know that this guy has some level of connections. You could be the Hulk. You could be an Avenger and you would not rank up this fast. There's just something shady going on. This is not normal. Life just doesn't work like that. Now, Glenn is officially 18, but his records show that he's a little bit older and he is still a student in the academy. And he grabs some of his friends, these other four guys, and he's like, all right, let's go drive around. I want to look at some hot girls. Like not in the cute, nerdy way, but in the creepy, they're going to find girls walking alone, slow down the car, roll down the windows and harass these women. They're going to catcall them. They're going to creep them out, make them feel vulnerable, terrified. This was their idea of a fun night out. But very quickly, after a few times, Glenn's bored. He's like, oh my God, all the girls do is either blatantly pretend like they don't hear anything or they just run away. So we need to step it up, guys. We need to do better than this. And as he's driving, he spots two young girls and they were, they were really young, 15 and 16 years old. Yeah, it stopped the car. Let's get out. And the six guys, they bombard these two young girls. And now we can imagine that Glenn, the leader of this group, he's not nicely asking the girls, do you need a ride home? He's not being considerate and friendly. I mean, we can assume he's saying some wild things. Now, the girls are trying to be nice, like, oh, sorry, we have to get home. We have curfew. Like, my dad's waiting for us. It was a polite rejection, but it was a rejection nonetheless. And Glenn does not react well to any rejection. As someone who gets everything he wants, someone who has never been told no, he was enraged. Immediately, his demeanor had changed. He was pissed. He forcibly grabbed the girls and he says, hey, get him. The friend group drags the girls into the car. And this is in public, by the way. It's, it's not in a deserted corner of the parking lot. It's assumed that there were maybe some witnesses. Maybe they were all minding their own business, but like there were people around. They drove the girls 20 miles outside the city and gang raped them. The girls rushed to the police station and immediately the police started investigating. And the girls, I mean, they knew everything. They knew the guy's names. They knew a lot. They knew the car. It was clear. Glenn is the leader. The police have to track him down. It was easy. The guy's not hiding. In fact, he has no care in the world. He knew that his mom had power and that's all that mattered. You know, power is what gets you out of trouble. That's what Glenn learned. So he's out eating, drinking, having fun, driving his stepdad's police car around, going to karaoke's, gaming rooms, movie theaters, clubs, and he gets arrested and immediately his whole vibe changes. He goes from being this big macho gang leader to a troubled little boy that was under the influence of the wrong crowd. Sonny was called into the station and they said, this is the case of your son gang raping two young minors i mean son or not as a woman you will be disgusted you will want some sort of punishment like you know that okay fine i you love your son you're gonna support your son but your son needs to pay the consequences of this heinous action but sunny later said i lost all my appetite after my son was arrested i hate these kinds of cases i i think we all do but he's not even 18 yet so really it's it's my fault when you look at it i didn't teach him properly you're like, wait, what? Not 18. He is 18. In fact, his record showed that he's 20. That makes no sense. So, of course, Sunny gets back to work. First, she finds someone at the hospital to fake a medical report. To report to say that the two girls had minor injuries. 
Then the next step of the plan, Sonny and Leonard were going to host dinner parties for the local judges, government officials, administrators, and police. With enough hard work and dedication and butthole licking, the two changed Glenn's age back to 15. Yes, to 15. So to this family, age is truly nothing but a number. So he's actually 18. Yes. (laughs) But now he went from 20 to 15. Yeah, he went from being 18 to 20 to 15. So with this new document and the documents that prove that the crime wasn't as violent or as vicious as the girls said because they just suffered minor injuries, you know, they went to trial and the court sentenced Glenn to three years in prison since he was a minor. All the other friends were sentenced to five to six years. Now, Glenn was floored. I mean, he did not actually think that he was going to get jail time at all. He turned around and he cried to his mom and he told her through his little snot-nosed boogers, I will never mess up again, mom. I don't want to go to jail. Please, mommy. And Sunny was heartbroken. She clenched her chest with her hand. I mean... You love your son at the end of the day. That's your baby. But he did this horrendous thing and you're torn. On one hand, you blame yourself for not teaching him. And then on the other hand, you're disgusted and potentially even scared of him and confused. So all you can do is hope that maybe he'll learn from this and never do this again. I don't know. That's what I imagine some moms might think. Maybe you're a mom that's like, "Ah, absolutely not. I hate this kid. That's despicable. I mean, how can he commit this crime against a woman? I don't know. But Sonny... She's our pick-me-girl, Sunny. She felt like someone had stabbed her in the heart. She walked out of that courtroom with a mission. She held more dinner parties till they were able to provide a certificate of diagnosis for a mental illness for Glenn. Essentially, it wasn't necessarily a mental illness, but just psychiatrists and all these doctors saying Glenn was definitely under some bad influence by these older kids. He wanted to fit in because these older kids are being tough and cool and really he's just a boy. Oh, those are some triggering words. Just a boy. (laughs) And instead of three years in prison, Glenn's sentence was changed to probation. He spent not a single day in prison. So right after they sentenced him, he didn't immediately have to go because he was a minor. So I think that there was like a time period till he had to go and serve his sentence, right? Mm -hmm. So not a single day in prison. I mean, this was the best case scenario for Glenn. Not only was he not going to scary prison, but when people saw him out and about as a free man or a free kid or whatever, he earned the respect and fear of every single person in the community. The sentiment was, this guy is not to be messed with. He can rape anyone he wants, face no consequences, his family has power you do not want to get on glenn's bad side in fact local gangsters threw themselves at glenn they thought that they could get the same protection as him if they were on his side and glenn was only growing more and more egotistical narcissistical and more powerful so the next year leonard is promoted to deputy general director of the kunming police department which only translates to the family as more power That's crazy. They're like the head of the police. Yeah. And their son is the head of the gangsters. It's really bad. It's terrifying. And Glenn starts collecting a protection racket, which, by the way, is a type of blackmail and threatening. It's like it's where you go to local businesses or individuals. And it could be like a random business, a grocery store, a clothing boutique, cafes, dry cleaners. And you tell them, hey, you pay me a monthly fee and I'll protect you from not only my gang, but also other neighboring gangs. You won't be robbed. You won't be beaten. You won't be killed. It's like an insurance policy, but for gangs. 
I mean, you still have to get the insurance for the business, but this is like on top of that. I mean, it sounds like it makes sense, right? But not really. I mean, typically the businesses are bullied into paying it and they were terrified of the gang that was quote unquote protecting them. And the fees were astronomical. Uh, You would be on the brink of starvation and bankruptcy just because you were paying these fees. And if you didn't pay up, you would be robbed, beaten and potentially killed by the very gang who just quote, wants to protect you. So Glenn's running a full-on mob at this point, and he is powerful. He's feared. He could, he could walk into a local restaurant, eat a full meal, and walk out without paying a cent. All the employees would bow forehead to knees when he walked in. He felt like a god. He would walk into brothels and force girls to kneel before him before he raped them because he wanted to feel like a king. And because of this fear and because of these connections, everyone treated him like one. Now, Glenn decides the next few years, building his criminal empire, his his underground network, it wasn't just all about the profits, though. In April, Glenn and his gang members lured a 15-year-old girl into a hotel room. And he told his guys, hey, guard the door, watch the girl, make sure she doesn't try to run. I want to go play some cards first, and when I get back, I'm going to have fun with her. I mean, it's clear that this 15-year-old girl does not want to be there. She's scared. She wants to go home. She's being held hostage. We can assume that she's probably been kidnapped. So Glenn comes back at around four in the morning and in front of everyone, he starts talking loudly about what he's thinking about doing to her. Maybe we can all take turns on the girls. Mind you, she's sitting there listening to all of this, terrified for her life. He would say, or do we kill her? Throw her in a ditch somewhere? That'd be funny. No one would know. Another gangster would chime in. Nah, I know who, I know a guy who's buying little girls like her for a few thousand dollars. We could do that. I mean, I heard we could also chop off her arms and legs and have her beg on the streets for money. Everyone would take pity on a pretty girl like her. They would give her the cash, which sounds shocking. But have you guys heard of the beggar mafia? Yeah. Now, I know a lot of people were exposed to it from the movie Slumdog Millionaire. And even then, there was a ton of controversy surrounding that particular scene. So a child is blinded so he can be a more successful beggar on the streets for the mafia. But it's not something that just happens in India. It happens in all parts of the world. I I don't know how common it is now, but I don't imagine it just disappeared. I remember years and years and years and years ago, I was in Korea and I saw a few. Mm -hmm. They weren't children, but they were more full-grown men without legs and without arms. And they would um, kind of support themselves on a dolly in the train station and ask for money. And I remember being this young kid I'm looking at my dad like, uh, we got to give that guy some money. And my dad like hushed me aside and was like, we can't give them money because it's just going to go to really, really bad people. And it was really confusing for me, but it is something called the beggar mafia. Typically, it goes something like this. A child would probably already be on the streets begging for food, money, shelter, whatever it was. And a nice couple would approach that child, offer them food. Here, come with us. Eat this little piece of cake. Come with us. We're going to take you somewhere safe. This is no place for a child. Being hungry, vulnerable, afraid. I mean, this child is going to think, oh, wow, maybe they're social workers or maybe it's just a nice couple. Maybe it's a religious group. Maybe they have a shelter somewhere for me. But inevitably, the food would be drugged. The kids were taken to a makeshift hospital. And sometimes these would be real established hospitals where they would be paid. The doctors would be paid to amputate perfectly healthy body parts of the child. It was revealed by journalists in certain parts of the world that figure that's used to bribe doctors who are supposed to protect their patients can be as low as $100 per amputation. Sometimes it's a leg. Sometimes it's an arm. Sometimes it's a hand. Then the kids are taken to a city that they're not familiar with because the beggar mafia, I mean, it's a a 
really big business. They would be forced to beg for money. They would inevitably, because of human emotions, human nature, they would make more money begging than before, but they wouldn't get any of it. The beggar mafia would even teach the kids how to beg, what mannerisms to use to evoke sympathy, what kind of people to approach for money, the best places to go for begging. And at the end of the day, the kids met up with their handler, essentially, and they would have to hand over everything that they made. They barely got shelter, food, and water. I mean, they got nothing. Now, this doesn't mean that every single non-able-bodied child or person out there that's in need of shelter, food, and water is being used by a mafia, but I'm just saying, it's it's a lot. Now, of course, there's a lot of discourse on what to do if you see someone that you suspect of being used by the mafia. On one hand, you give them the money, you're enabling the mafia to grow more powerful and expand and take more children to hurt. On the other hand, if you don't give them the money, then the child, if they don't meet their quotas at the end of the day, they're beaten, tortured by the mafia. If you call the police, most of the time, the kids will lie because they're terrified. They'll say the limbs disappeared magically on their own, or they'll come up with these random accident stories. There's a bit of a code of silence. Typically, the police are being paid by the beggar mafia. And if a child is known to talk, the mafia will chop off their tongue, literally. And you're like, wow, why would the police work with the beggar mafia? The beggar mafia can make about $20 million alone in one city in a year. What? So you really think that they're going to stop anytime soon. And with this type of power, I mean, who's to say who's on your side, the kid's side? You would expect everyone to be, but who knows? These police officers, these doctors, they might not be. So they're threatening to do all of these things to the young 15-year-old girl. And it's all psychological torture. And at the end, Glenn laughs at her torment while raping her in front of everyone. And this is kind of what kicks off Glenn's sadistic spree. He feels unstoppable. I mean, this is much more fun to him than going to a brothel and being treated like a king. Two months later, while he's out partying, he runs into two girls, 17-year-old Wanda and her friend. Now, Wanda is not a stranger to Glenn. Glenn actually knew Wanda's cousin, Tracy, and they were all kind of in the same circle. This is important later. He insisted, hey, Wanda, you know me. I know you. Come with me. Let's go eat and party. Bring your friend. It'll be fun. And of course, we'll drop you off at your house after. Just say yes. Not that you have a choice, but say yes anyway. Not that it matters, but the girls didn't want to go with him. Like, they really didn't. Their night ended up in a hotel room where Glenn raped Wanda in front of all of his gang members, as well as Wanda's friend. He let them go, and they were too scared to say anything at this point. Even if he were to kill someone in broad daylight, it seemed like he was not going to spend one day in prison. A few days later, Glenn strikes again. He invites 15-year-old Bo and Sharon, who's only 13, Sharon, by the way, to, to go to dinner. And again, they're forced, to, they're forced to sit through this dinner. They just want to go home. They're terrified. They don't like this. And around midnight, he takes the girls into the same hotel room. He rapes Bo in front of everyone, and then he lets them go. A week after that, Glenn finds another 13-year-old girl in a hotel room, Julie. He begged her to sleep on the same bed as him, and she refused. So he starts getting upset and angry, and he takes off all of his clothes, and he starts groping her, and she's fighting back. She's fighting back hard. She's resisting, and this pisses off Glenn. So after a minute of trying, he orders his men, take her downstairs and beat her. Beat her ass until she's deformed. That's what he screamed at his men. He watched from the balcony as they dragged her downstairs onto the open street. And he's screaming as if he's watching a football game. More, more, go, let me see. So the men lifted the girl's face up at Glenn and he saw that she was unrecognizable. Her eyes were swollen shut. There was blood everywhere. And he said, okay, that's good. 
Meanwhile, in the same town, at a small little restaurant, there was a 16-year-old girl, Tracy. Remember Wanda's cousin? And she was talking to her boyfriend in a hushed tone. I'm really scared. There's this gangster, and he, he raped my cousin the other week, and he's threatening to do the same thing to me, and he wants to beat me up for some reason, and I don't know what's wrong with him, and I don't even know what I did. Her boyfriend, he has, he has no idea about this, you know? He's like, what? Don't even worry about it. I'll handle him. What's his phone number? I can show him what's up. She gives it to him, and he calls Glenn. Just like that. And before they can even get a hello in, he starts screaming, Hey, Mr. Tough Guy. This is the boyfriend, okay? Let's call him John. He starts screaming at Glenn. Hey, Mr. Tough Guy. I heard you think you run this town. I want to see what you got. Glenn's shocked. Oh my God. A little shocked, a little amused, but definitely angry. He says, okay, and what's your name? John? All right, John, well, let me tell you this. Not only am I going to show you who I am, but I'll show that little girlfriend of yours too. And Glenn proceeds to cuss out John for a minute straight on the phone. And he ends it with, so if you want to see me, meet me at the noodle shop on White Tower Road. I know it sounds comical, it's not. But like, yeah, he was trying to meet at a noodle shop. No, really. So they hang up the phone and, you know, John, the boyfriend, he's freaking riled up. He's like, who the hell does this guy think he is? He's about to get his ass kicked at the noodle shop. What kind of weirdo wants to meet up at the noodle shop? His legs are going to be noodles when I'm done with him. Anyway, Tracy, babe, how do you even know this guy? He comes into the bar where I work and... I've heard so many stories about him. Like, he's insane. Apparently, he runs all the racketing for all the businesses. And he rapes all these young girls. And th he beats them up. It wasn't just my cousin. He does this to, like, all the girls. Oh, I heard he cuts the parts in between the fingers. And he'll break your fingers with chopsticks. And wait, what? Yeah, it's really scary, babe. And he's got this entire gang of guys that's just always with him. And they have tattoos. And they'll just drag someone into the alleyway, hold them down while he beats them to a bloody pulp. And I heard his parents work for the police. So there's nothing we can do. Like, I can't call the police about any of this because he'll never be arrested. Word around the block is that he's been arrested for rape, but he got off scot-free. And the boyfriend is like, what the fork, Tracy? Why did you not tell me this earlier? I would never have called him. I'm so scared. Oh do you think he knows who I am? Wait, do you remember? Did I give him my last name? No, right? Okay. Do you think he... Oh, shoot. What do I do? What? I need to call my mom. I'm going to throw up. We got to stay low, Tracy. That's the only way. You, you go home. I'm going to go to my place. Don't go outside. Stay home. Don't even stay home, actually. Stay with a friend. This isn't a joke, Tracy. We messed with the wrong guy. Why didn't you tell me? Oh, we fucked up, Tracy. We fucked up. On November 6th, Glenn and his guys show up at the noodle house as planned. They had sticks, bats, and knives. But John was nowhere to be seen. In fact, anyone that walked by, Glenn would grab them by the collar and scream into their face, Are you John? And after each passing person, Glenn would get upset. He'd, he'd been fooled. What is this, a setup? This kid thinks he can mess with me? He looked like an idiot. All of his gang members are ready to fight. Like, come on, where's the fun at? And they're looking at him like, you're going to let this little 16-year-old boy push you around? Oh, are you really a gang leader? Oh, he's pissed. He's thinking, I got to teach them a lesson. Let's go find these forkers. So Glenn knew Tracy's cousins, not the one that he had assaulted, not Wanda, but a ton of the other ones. He was familiar with her whole family. So why not start there? Of course, Tracy is not just going to be easy to find. I mean, nobody messes with Glenn like this and just lives their life normally right after. They find Tracy's 17-year-old cousin, Jasmine. And at the time, she was with a friend of hers, Yuri, another 17-year-old. And the gang immediately drags the two girls into a private room of a karaoke bar. So a lot less private than, let's say, a hotel room, but pretty private. 
They treated the room like an interrogation. No music, just straight up. Where the hell is your little cousin and her stupid boyfriend, John? Where the hell are Tracy and John? The girls didn't know. I mean, I don't really hang out with Tracy every day. I, I, I can call her, but she's not picking up the phone. Her phone is off, and I don't know what to tell you. He starts kicking the girls until they were on the ground in the fetal position. They couldn't even get up. And he would scream at the guys, get her up. And Glenn's little bodyguards would lift Jasmine up by her arms. And he'd say, hold her up. And he'd start punching her stomach over and over and over again until she passed out. Of course, he didn't stop. He would ask the waitress for some chopsticks and toothpicks. And he would say, we're going to wake this bitch up. He put the chopsticks in between her fingers. So one in between each. And he clamped the top of the chopsticks as hard as he could until he could hear her bones snap. And then using the toothpicks, he lifted up the nail beds and started stabbing and jamming in the toothpick underneath the nail bed. Jasmine was screaming. Yuri was screaming, seeing what was being done to her best friend and probably what awaited her. And she was screaming for her life, which Glenn thought was hilarious. So funny, in fact, that he diverted his attention. He grabbed the toothpicks so he could stab Yuri in the chest with them. One by one, he punctured her chest with toothpicks and her nipple. Now, I I almost wonder, and I don't know if this is okay to wonder out loud, but I almost wonder if it would have been less painful with a sharper object. So, I mean, a toothpick is very thick and it, it doesn't have a sharp edge. So for it to actually puncture, I'm not talking about poking. He's not poking. He's getting it punctured into her chest. So I don't know if he's hammering the other side or brute force, but I almost wonder if it would have been less painful with, let's say, a needle, something thinner. One by one, he lit a cigarette and he would say things like, you know, you really shouldn't scream so loud. And he would watch with delight as each cigarette sizzled onto their skin as he put it out. By this point, it's around 3 a.m. And the guys decide to move the girls to another karaoke bar to help them look for Tracy. Maybe this is the one that she worked at. But they couldn't find her. So, you know, they're getting frustrated. If word gets out that you can set up Glenn and get away with it, all their street credit, everything that they'd been building for years now would come crumbling down. So with that anger, with their need to prove to the world that they were still not to be messed with, the gang starts beating Yuri in the middle of the street, in public. Glenn would wipe the sweat off his forehead and he looked down and Yuri was sweaty, bloody, could barely even hold herself up. She crumbled onto the ground and these full-grown men had just stood there beating a young 17-year-old girl who was exponentially smaller and weaker than them. But looking at her in pain only triggered something more sadistic in him. Glenn grabs her by the hair, drags her to the closest bar that he could find. And this is an open bar. Maybe there's not as many customers since it's four in the morning, but it's open. There's a few customers. There's definitely employees. It's an open establishment. He drags her in, throws her onto the ground, forces her to bite the corner of a marble coffee table. And with all of his strength, he took his elbow and smashed the back of her head as hard as he could. This is often referred to as a curb stomp. It is, it's one of those things that make you question humanity because who comes up with this and who actually does this? And then uh, every now and again, you will have videos pop up that go viral of a curb stomp in real life. Typically, it's younger, maybe teenagers, 20-year-old something bullies, no, monsters, curb stomping someone. 
If done with some force, it's a very, very lethal, very fatal, very dangerous thing. Most of the time, it results in victims losing various teeth, probably needing to undergo surgery to get metal plates installed in their jaws. It results in a broken jaw. Sometimes it splits the cheeks open. It's incredibly painful. The recovery is out of this world. I mean, just the trauma alone to the head is insane. So Yuri is essentially curb stomped. She had teeth and blood flying out of her mouth and she passed out. And just to show you how blatant they are, just to show you how many witnesses there were, Glenn orders a glass of beer and some napkins. Why? He's not in the mood for drinking, but he wanted to pour the beer on Yuri's face so she would wake up and he could go at it again. The girls end up at a hotel and starts another round of beating. Glenn is screaming, where the hell is Tracy? And... When they get tired, the guys get tired, they have the girls stand up, face each other. And he would say, here's what I want. I want you guys to slap each other as hard as possible on the face. It'll be funny. No, I know, I know you're missing teeth, your face is swollen. Even the idea of slapping your own face makes you want to die in pain. But, but it'll be funny for me. Do it. Or else. So the two best friends stood there sobbing and slapping one another across the face. The guys are just sitting there laughing at this. I mean... No part of this is funny. I, I don't understand what's funny. Yuri passes out again, and they thought it would be hilarious to unzip their pants and pee on her face to wake her up. But Yuri is on the edge of her life. She's not waking up. And I guess this is when the gang starts freaking out. I mean, the realization that rape is not a big crime in their eyes and oftentimes in the eyes of the law, but, but murder. I mean, can Glenn's parents get away with murder for him? That, that sounds crazy. So they panic. The best solution to all of this is to call a cab, put the two girls in it, have the cab driver drop them off at the hospital so that they can get life-saving efforts. And here, driver, take this extra cash. Don't tell them who we are. And if you do, we're going to come for you next. What's shocking about this is just the sheer amount of people that knew what was going on. The cab driver, the hotel staff, the bar staff, the passerbys, the customers at the bars, the hotel, the karaoke. I mean, people had seen what was being done to these girls and nobody stopped it. They, they had two excuses later. Some of them said, oh, I had no idea what was going on. Some of them said, I was just too scared. Which both of them is insane to me. With tens, if not close to 100 bystanders, a 17-year-old girl suffered from serious head injuries, cerebral hemorrhaging, contusions in the frontal lobe, fractures in her sternum, burns on her arms, punctured breasts, and incontinence. Yuri would later have limitation of motion on her lower limbs, retrograde amnesia, and she was in a coma for a very long time. My dog Mango has been with me through some really crazy times in life. I mean, she's been with us for the past 10 years. If you guys don't know, Mango is my little French bulldog with half hair. Okay, she's fuzzy only half the time. And she is literally the glue of my family. I have quite literally named an entire podcast and a YouTube channel from my dog Mango. She is the reason that these channels exist. But three years ago, Mango was diagnosed with this autoimmune disease and she was always at risk of excessive bleeding. Her fur was falling out in clumps. It was, it was a pretty stressful time in my life. I was constantly emotional about Mango being in pain and then I would be, get so stressed out every time I started going over the vet bills. Every time we took her to the vet, it was like thousands of dollars because her condition was so difficult to treat. And I 
am just so thankful that we had savings to cover it. I wish I had known about SpotPet a few years back. It would have just eased so much of that stress. Our partner, SpotPet Insurance, is here to share a message today on how they are a secret weapon against the unexpected. Because with SpotPet Insurance, you can get up to 90% cash back on eligible vet bills. Our dogs are always there for us during our hardest times, and we need to be there for them too. Go to SpotPet.com today and get a quote instantly. Visit SpotPet.com. Paid ad from Spot Pet Insurance. Waiting periods, annual deductibles, coinsurance, benefit limits, and exclusions may apply. For all terms, visit spotpetins.com slash sample policy. Insurance plans are underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by Spot Pet Insurance Services, LLC. If I offered you two different pairs of jeans and I told you that you can only wear one of them, you could probably decide in two seconds. But what if I offered you a thousand pairs of jeans and they're all slightly different and I said you can only wear one of these for the next 12 months straight. This will be your go-to pant of choice. What are you going to do? How do you even start to choose? That's exactly what I felt like when I was combing through thousands of listings whenever we were moving to a new apartment. I would spend hours a day stressing about, is this apartment in a good neighborhood? Is it going to accommodate my dogs? Does it fit my budget? I didn't know any of these. And the worst part is most of the listings didn't even tick all of my boxes. That is why Apartments.com is your best place to look for your new home. Apartments.com lets you filter your search based on whether you have pets, if you want a balcony, built-in AC, whatever it is that you're looking for. The website remembers your search so that you don't have to keep filtering every time you come back. And Apartments.com has more rental listings than anywhere else, meaning no matter how specific your needs are, they got you. And your instant alerts mean that you can spend less time online looking for the perfect place and more time doing you. So if you're looking for a new place to call home, head over to apartments.com apartments.com the place to find a place yuri's dad rushed to the hospital to be with his daughter which side note i feel so bad for this man yuri's mom left them when yuri was really young and he was this single dad people described him to be such an honest man the the type of guy that worked hard and wanted to do the best to set an example for his daughter his daughter that he couldn't even recognize anymore. He couldn't even describe the type of pain that he was feeling. He, he felt anger and vengefulness and hatred, but he also felt this crippling fear because he knew who he was dealing with. He knew that they might come back to finish the job. So he decided he was never really going to leave the hospital. I mean, he practically stayed by her side 24-7. A police report was filed, and the next day at 1 a.m., Glenn was arrested with seven of his friends. I mean, they all knew that they were going to have a fire on their butt. They were screwed. This is not to be taken lightly. The police were shocked to find out who the kids' parents were, but also, after Glenn was raping and torturing these young minors in broad daylight, he was spending the next day partying and drinking and clubbing. To them, that was, that was wild. Immediately, Glenn gets into um, his little whining mode and his parents get into work. At this point, Glenn's stepdad is the deputy director general of the Wuhan Police Department. So mm -hmm. this is a huge city, right? I mean, this is a pretty big position. I wouldn't say he's like a senator or a governor, but he, he's something. And with the power that he has, he walks in with confidence into the police station, flashes his badge and a smile, and he purposely picks out the lower ranking officials. Hey, you, come here. You know who I am, right? Yeah, yeah, you do. So here's what I need you to do. I need you to get me all of my songs, all of my son's belongings. I mean, it's a shame that they're even here. Those are mine. I bought those for him. And there's nothing to say that he did anything to begin with. So give me all of his stuff. Sir Leonard, um, I know who you are and I respect you and I respect everything that you've done for this police department, but we can't do that. What? 
I mean, at this point, it's out of our hands. The case is with the higher up squad now. And I just, I don't even have the right to look at his things. I can't get them for you. So Leonard does not go back home thinking, holy shit, this is serious. My stepson has committed a horrendous crime that he genuinely might be guilty of. You know, we could maybe give Leonard benefit of the doubt in the beginning. Maybe he genuinely thought that Glenn was incapable of such a thing, that they got the wrong guy, you know, but he doesn't think that. In fact, he was pissed that they refused him. He said, okay, well, I'll just have to go around them then. So Sonny and Leonard, they reach out to the hospital and they bribe them to change the official report for the two girls, especially Yuri, the friend who was curb stomped, change the report to, you guessed it, minor injuries. In the final report given to the police by the hospital, it said in big, bold letters, minor injury. I mean, you mean minor as in she's a minor and she's got injuries? Because what are you saying? The police were skeptical. They saw Yuri in the hospital. She was in a coma. Maybe they didn't understand hospital lingo, but that didn't make sense to them. But being the police, they did what they were told. They signed the papers, filed it away and called it a day. Yuri's dad saw the official hospital report too and he was shocked. What do you mean? Are we looking at the same girl right now? Because my daughter's in a coma. Her face is unrecognizable. You, let me show you a picture of her. Is that the same girl? I was told when she finally wakes up, she may not even remember her own name and you're telling me this is a minor injury? I demand a re-exam. I want to be in the room. I need to ask the doctors, how could anyone in their right mind, medical experience or not, think that this is a minor injury. Sir, sir, I know you're emotional, but you need to calm down. We cannot do a re-exam without approval from our superiors. So, sir, please. Fine, then let me talk to your superiors. So sensing that he wouldn't stop until he got what he wanted, the doctors reached out to their superiors who just straight up told Yuri's dad, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I get where you're coming from, but we don't really have much say in this matter. If you're really that worried, take your daughter somewhere else. She's in a coma. It's not like I can just walk out with her and take her to a new hospital. Well, then we can't really do anything. Meanwhile, the police find themselves in an odd pickle. On one hand, they can't let Glenn go because they know what he did. But on the other hand, they're starting to get pressure from above. Thanks to the bribery of Glenn's parents, these superiors are telling the officials, yeah, you got to let him go. You got to you got to release him into the wild. So either they get fired or they let a rapist out onto the streets. And how could they ever really call themselves policemen again? How could they even look at themselves in the mirror? So an officer comes up with a genius plan. Leak information to the press. The only way the superiors are going to stop pushing us to release Glenn is if the public is involved. I mean, imagine the press finds out that the superiors released a rapist into the world. They would want the superiors' heads on a stick. And the lower ranks, we could act confused, like, oh my god, that's insane, how'd they find that out? Sorry, sir, I guess we can't release him. And right off the bat, two local newspapers covered the case. They did deep dives, I tell you. Not only did they talk about Glenn and his gang, but they even pointed fingers. They implied that there must be support behind Glenn. There's no way that he's even acting like this or getting away with things like this unless there's some sort of protecting shell outside of these gangsters. It seems as if no matter what crime they commit, what type of crime, they are walking above the law. Someone's got to be leading them. It's someone big. We don't know who yet, but this person must have power, influence, and connections. The newspaper powerfully wrote, What's sad is after spending years of bringing justice to the public, and now we realize that the individuals that we put our trust into helping the people are actually the ones screwing the people over. There's an old Chinese saying, Courtesy is not extended to the commoners, and punishment is not served up to the lords. 
Another one that's when a man gets to the top, all of his friends and relatives get there with him. Is that what's happening here? Does the saying all people are equal in the eyes of the law not hold true, but the two do? After these two pieces were published, everyone's attention was on the parents. I mean, this is the most common sense, logical way of putting it together. There was outrage, anger, frustration. Everyone wanted to know who the hell are these kids' parents? How are they protecting him? What is their role in this? Give us their names. More newspapers come out with follow-up articles. Their titles were attention-grabbing, emotion-inducing. They said, the evil cannot be covered. The pitiful parents of the world. The paper showed pictures of Yuri in pain, her injuries. And Sunny and her husband were not breaking a sweat over this. They actually reached out to the newspapers and talked to them first. They started making excuses for the kids' actions. They said, what the gang did. You know, they need to be punished. We always trained Glenn with discipline, and we were always very strict with him. But <laughs> these days, society has such a bad influence on kids. You know, he was too young to differentiate between bad and good. And with all these factors, I'm sure most parents can agree. It's very hard to keep your child good with only discipline from the family alone. This, what we're looking at, is actually a bigger societal problem. If you ask any parent in the world, do you think any of them would want their kid to go on and commit these types of crimes? Would any of them want their kid to go to jail? And the interviewer said, well, the community believes the reason for their behavior is because they have people supporting and covering for them. Please, please trust us. We have the basic understanding of the law. We will always support the legal system and evil should be punished. After this interview, I mean, one would imagine that it would spark more debate, more follow-up articles, but the newspapers went silent yet again. It leads you to believe that they had a say in this. The parents, that Sonny and Leonard did this interview to cover their own tracks and then they bribed the rest of the newspapers to shut the fork up. It seems like the caring parents that want justice, but they're in this tricky situation. They blame it on society as a whole and now nobody's talking about it. Now it's yesterday's news. But word gets out outside of the town of Kunming and a big newspaper, an influential newspaper at the time called Southern Weekly gets a hand on this story. They sent two reporters into Kunming to research the case. They went to the hospital to talk to Yuri. They, she was no longer in critical condition. She was still bleeding from the brain. Her face was still unrecognizable. It had been a month since the attack. She had burned arms, puncture wounds on her chest. She could not hold her own bowels. She couldn't speak normally. She was mentally unstable. She would constantly forget where she was. She couldn't even walk. She couldn't even get off the bed on her own. She, she loses random parts of her memory. She can't write. She can't even hold a pen still. And the newspaper, the reporters, they're patient with her and it takes her a long time to form the words. And the interview took hours and hours. And at the end, instead of just getting up and leaving or asking her more questions about the case, the interviewers ask her, is your chest feeling okay? Are you healing all right? And Yuri just had this floodgate of emotions open up. A lot of people say it's because nobody cared except for her dad. The doctors didn't care. The hospital didn't care. The police didn't care. Nobody cared about how she was doing, if she was going to be okay, if she was going to make it. And these two random reporters, they asked her a simple question of, are your wounds healing okay? The most basic human act of decency. And it was a lot for her. She burst into tears and they just sat there in silence. A few days later, the reporters went to Tracy's house to talk to her. She told them everything. She said, it, it's just wild. I think that they are torturing a lot of people. The reporters noted that Tracy's mom was on the side the whole time crying and sobbing. And Tracy's dad was in the next room drinking alcohol. And every now and then you would just hear him sigh. 
Tracy voice shaking would say he beats up almost everyone. Dancers, employees, even random people on the street that look at him a little weird, he'll, he'll cut the muscles between each finger using a scissor. And Tracy's dad interrupts the interview by screaming from the next room over. He went to jail now, but he'll get out. What can people like us do to them? Nothing. A month later, the article was front page of the Southern Weekly. The title? A Crying in Kunming. Eliminate the bullies, showcase the dirty crimes that Glenn has committed. And almost immediately, the corporate office of the newspaper gets a call. It's Sunny. She tells them, her voice scathing, you are a tiny, tiny, tiny little news station, and I can send each and every single one of you to jail within this month, so you better watch your back. One of the main reporters started to get death threats and strange calls almost every single day after that was released, but the article got a ton of attention, to the point where even state officials, not just the local government of Kunming, were pressured to get involved. Even federal leadership was being pressured to get involved. And finally, with enough outrage, Sunny and Leonard were charged with covering up Glenn's crimes. Sunny was fired from her job, sentenced to five years in prison. Leonard was placed on probation for two years. And Glenn, with no protection from his parents, with no mommy around, he was sentenced to death for all of his crimes. And the whole nation cheered. He was sent off to prison where he would be on death row. A few years later, Sunny gets out. Good behavior. You know, five years passed. Sunny's out of prison. Leonard's out. She rejoins her husband. She's, she's talking on the phone with her precious boy who's in prison, and he's having a rough time, you know? So she learns nothing from her sleepless nights in prison. She goes straight back to her old ways of protecting her son. The son's on death row right now, right? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, she's even more passionate than ever on trying to protect her son. She felt like it was her duty. The world was an evil, scary place. So the next year after being released... Leonard was promoted once again to the director general of the urban administration. I guess nobody cared about the huge violations of law and justice or even just the scandal itself, but whatever. Leonard also waited for Sunny to come back home. He was ready to do whatever he needed to to make her happy again. So he starts pulling some strings. The first step is to get Glenn's case reopened so that they can bribe whoever was in charge of it into acquitting their poor son. They start hosting dinner parties. And at this point... I don't know why some of these people are even showing up. Like, why else do you think that they're inviting you? Come on. I mean, after everything you've seen and heard, just don't go. But they go. And a judge, he looks into his pocket in between the second course and the third. And good old Leonard had slipped 20,000 US dollars into his pocket. This was enough for the judge to reopen the case. And after a few more bribes to the tune of $20,000, a retrial was to be held. I mean, this case is still high profile. Sure, the drama has died down a bit after Glenn's sentencing, but it's like any other true crime case. Once someone is sentenced to death, I mean, people just kind of move on. Sure, you can appeal, and let's say the appeal is the appeal is successful, then it's in the news. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you know, you don't really focus a lot on the retrials, or at least the general public don't. During the trial, the judge stated and declared, we will not change the facts of the case, but we will alter the term of imprisonment. Instead of the death sentence, we hereby sentence you to 20 years in prison. So on record, it would show that he's still guilty of those crimes, which one would assume then he's still on death row. But they commuted his sentence to 20 years in prison. From there, everything else was smooth sailing. Almost too easy. Sunny bribed prison staff to make sure her little boy was having a good time while he was there. She would send him messages like, don't worry, mommy's going to get you out in no time. She then went back to bribing judges who would then go on to reduce his 20-year sentence to seven years for good behavior. 
I mean, there was like this weird saga where apparently he faked to have um, a trademark under his name. Like she bribed someone to just throw his name into a trademark that they had just gotten. Yeah, I heard about this one. <laughs> yes. So they, they were building these uh, little sewage covers. So someone invented this sewage cover. Uh, like a manhole cover, yes. Yeah, man- manhole covers. Uh-huh. Because there's people who steal them to sell it as uh, scraps. What? Because it's metal. Metal is worth money. So let's I, say it's oh. made out of copper. So they can, they would just lift it out of the ground and sell it for like, I don't know, 200 bucks, for example. But it will cause people to walk by and just fell into oh, the hole oh. or their car or their bicycle. Mm-hmm. So it's really dangerous behavior, but people are doing it. So someone invented this uh, invention. You can't really lift it. And the mom got that uh, paper and then bribed it uh, and put um, the, the his name on there, the son's name on there. So, so- the son invented this really smart invention for the city or for for the i don't know for the country wow (laughs) i'm at a loss for words it's also like the most random ridiculous who even thinks like this but the fact that the mother went that far yeah that's and what made saying. it happen. Who even thinks like that? Like who's yeah. like, I'm gonna find someone who just created an invention, bribe them while my son is in prison, but it worked. Because this showed that he will be a good functioning, valuable member of society. I mean, this is the best case scenario. They he's she's saying he's not gonna be released and go back to his old ways and be a gang member. No, he's an inventor now. It got his sentence reduced even further. And in total, from being sentenced to death, he would actually only serve 12 years in prison. 33-year-old Glenn was quietly released. His release did not make the papers, and he started going by Mr. Big Lee. Now, how did his parents do this? Are they just that powerful? Are they that well-connected? I mean, who are they? Are they like the Kennedys? Are they like the Bezos? This doesn't make sense. I would say that the family, they're hard workers. They're known in their field. They do well in their field, don't get me wrong. But we're not dealing with like Bill Gates. We're not dealing with the president. The way that they really accomplished getting their son off of death row was they knew how people functioned. They knew exactly how to bribe someone. They studied the people that they were bribing. They chose the right judges that could be bought. Mr. Big Lee gets out and he has no job, no place to stay, no fellow gang members, and he lives with his parents briefly. And with his parents' money, He decided, I need some privacy, mom. I can't live with you anymore. So she bought him. She bought him a $1.5 million apartment so he could live alone. And you're like, wait, I've never really heard of police commissioners having $1.5 million apartments as a second home. Well, think about it. If they have the money to bribe others, I'm sure they get bribed all the time too. Yeah. It's like a never ending cycle. Come on. I mean, just so he could live alone, she bought him a $1.5 million house. She also lent him money so he could start businesses of his own, nightclubs, bars. He could buy shares of entertainment venues. And honestly, he made quite a living. He was successful with the help of mommy, of course. And soon enough, he had another group of gangsters working underneath him. They went back to racketeering and no, Glenn did not get any better. One time he ordered this taser, this like taser baton, and he wanted to test it out if it really worked. He ordered a bar manager to come kneel before him, and he tased him over and over and over again until the battery ran out. Glenn also kept these big dogs and would order them to bite whoever was pissing him off. He was even more ruthless than before. He was known to have his men beat and torture people, strangers, just for being too loud in his presence. His ego was getting bigger. I mean, he was feeling untouchable. I mean, how many people can say that they survived the death penalty? He bought a Ferrari, he let his men drive it, he got married, had a daughter. Sure, he loved his kid, but he also wasn't that nice to his wife. In fact, he was cheating on her with a flight attendant named Lisa. Remember? 
The one that got into a fight at the karaoke bar? Well, Mr. Bigley was arrested for that, but released within one day. Which, you know, the police, they thought it was a little suspicious. So instead of closing the case outright, they sent it over to another department that oversees difficult cases. And their jaws dropped. They remembered the case of Glenn years ago, but now, now he's free and torturing people again? They would make sure that this time, his mom could not help him. They investigated, they got proof. They got proof of how he got out of death row, how he was released to the public, the layers of bribery, all the judges involved, everything was released and exposed. And Sonny said, I feel ashamed, I feel guilty and very pain. I I was wrong in my attitude to the education and the law. I have a lot of regret. However, as a mother, I will do everything for my child without considering the result. And that's my fault. February 2020, Glenn was executed. And he cried in public for the first time. But trust, not a single person pitied him. Well, I guess other than his mom. It's said that he was finally executed this time, but we don't really know. There is a very interesting rumor going around that said Glenn is still alive and he's still out there with the help of mommy. What are your thoughts on this case? This is so big that because he was just executed two years ago, right? They even made TV shows out of it. It was huge. Oh, my God. Yeah, This is really like the urban legend of it is kind of the mom's fault for not taking her boob out. Yeah, I feel like the mom should be punished really heavily. Yeah, too, I don't this think is. Can you imagine being a mother just enabling your kid raping minors all day, every day? And then, you know, and still being a high up position like that. It's weird. So there are Reddit threads where I see a lot of parents discussing the fact that they're parents of criminals. And I can see how one maybe could still love their child especially as a mom or especially as a woman loving your child after maybe a drug crime maybe a crime of theft but a crime of violence against women i'm not a mom yet but i i just can't imagine ever ever supporting my son after that i'm sure there's still feelings of love and connection but i don't think i could ever help him get out of it i could never i could i just couldn't what are your thoughts on this and whose fault is it really like who do you blame And I hope you guys enjoyed this week's mini-sode, and I will see you on Wednesday for the main episode. Bye!